Welcome to episode 31 of Stacey's Pop Culture Parlour. It seems like an absolute age since I've done a proper parlour episode, mostly because of the fact that the live show took so much of my flipping time. <laughs> Um, I do apologise for how long it took to put those episodes out, but to be honest, it was a lot, a lot of work editing it. Um, And there was issues with storage on the website as well, and um, quite a few people got in touch anyway to say that I was releasing them a bit too fast because they were quite big, so uh, sorry. Um, If you enjoyed those episodes and you haven't donated to the... um, the Operation Smile page yet please think about doing so um, I know money can be a bit tight at the moment but literally every little helps just throw a pound in there I worked out the other day that if all of my Twitter followers donated a pound I'd make another 500 quid um, so you know even even a tiny pound can make a massive difference the page to go to is www.justgiving.com forward slash spcp live and yep just give as much as you can i feel like i did operation smile a bit of a disservice because i didn't really talk much on the live show about what they actually do and basically they uh, they go around the world giving surgeries um to children with cleft palates and other facial disfigurations um so so you will be changing a child's life no matter how much money you give you will be changing a child's life uh, and you'll also be making my considerably crappy day a lot better um i think the page is open until the 12th of october so there's another couple of weeks yet but like i say it would be absolutely wonderful if you could think about giving some dosh at the moment i've got eight fully funded surgeries on there which to be honest, I'm I'm so overwhelmed by the amazing response I had to the episode and um, for the charity as well that I can't quite believe it when I look at it. But, you know, if, if you want to uh, make me extra gobsmacked, please do think about popping some dosh there. That's justgiving.com forward slash SPCP live. On to this episode, though. Um, as if I hadn't had enough of interviewing people and shitting myself and generally not being very good at talking to people, I thought, hey, what better than to get another super famous, awesome person on the show to interview this month? 
sometimes I really wonder about my brain and whether podcasting is really the social interaction choice for me but there we go um joining me this episode is the absolutely amazing Peter Spellos who um I had the great pleasure of meeting at um the auto assembly convention at the start of August which for those of you that don't know it's actually a, a I think it's Europe's largest Transformers convention, uh, which takes place in Birmingham. And uh, I managed to uh, worm my way into there as press, which was quite exciting. And so I got to meet Townsend Coleman, and I got to meet Peter Spellos, and I got to meet Michael McConaughey, and uh, a load of artists and lovely, lovely people, and um, basically have a jolly wicked time, uh, which Peter and I will talk about in this episode. But the reason Peter caught my eye was because I actually wasn't um, massively aware of him prior to going to the show uh, but I went along to his um, guest of honour Q&A panel on the Saturday which I'll, I'll be honest I only went to because I didn't know who he was I'd like to learn more and it meant I got to have a sit down for a little bit <laughs> it also means when you go to a con on your own and you don't talk to people you feel less like a plum for not talking to people because you're not supposed to talk during panels um, but his Q&A session was brilliant he was smart and funny and super entertaining um just a really engaging guy to watch and um, I actually went up to him afterwards to tell him how great he was felt like a bit of a plum but he was kind enough to join me on the show you may know him as the voice of Skybite in Transformers Robots in Disguise uh, which was actually a cartoon I didn't know existed until I went to this Transformers con um, because basically anything after generation one is lost on me so I really need to pull my finger out and get involved in some of that stuff methinks um but on top of that he's been in a ton of uh, a ton of movies and telly he's done stand-up he's like basically had his finger in every entertainment pot um and like i say he's just a really really nice chap uh, so please enjoy episode 31 it's me and peter spellos Oh, yeah. Uh, I've just taken a bit of a funny turn, actually, so I'm feeling a bit gross. But <laughs> oh, hello. Yeah, I've been having some strange internet stuff that, since I got home. So uh, it, it would choose today to go haywire, wouldn't it? <laughs> if it goes haywire, can you cut and start back, and then can we do stuff like that? Um, yeah, I would have thought so. I don't think it'd be too much of a problem. I love the fact that a car alarm's just gone off now as well. <laughs> well, it's Murphy's Law. Anything that can go wrong will. <laughs> oh, dear. How are you, my good man? You know, it, it's been a good week. I just saw my mom at the nursing home and, you know, cheering her up is always a great thing. We had lunch together. You know, she's 93 and she still tries to feed me off her lunch plate. Oh, bless. 
You know, it's beautiful. You know, have something. No, mom, I'm fine. She goes, no, it's really, really delicious today. I, I said, no, I, I understand. They they make it for you. No, you got to eat something. I, okay, mom, I'll, I'll eat something. So I, I certainly will miss that when it's gone. Oh. You know, it's I'm lucky to have her. She's 93. You know, it's a blessing. My great nan's just turned ninety nine, and wow. um, yeah, she's—I mean, she's completely potty now. She's got no idea what's happening at all. But it's ridiculous how how much she still thinks of other people. If that makes sense, like when you go and visit her, she—even uh, though she doesn't know who you are nine times out of ten—she'll still be like, "Do you want? Shall I do you a cup of tea?" Even though she can't get out of bed, we're like, "Oh, yeah, go on then." <laughs> it doesn't happen, but you know, the, the thoughts there. Bless her. I think even when the mind starts to go, there's, you know, I don't know anything, but the human spirit still takes over. The instincts she's had all her life are what rule, mm. you know. So, in, you know, enjoy the days. I promise you, Stacey, they go faster than you ever wanted. Oh, I know. It's ridiculous. I can't even believe how quickly she's gone so far. I know. I, you know, I'm 60 years old and I'm 15 in my head. <laughs> I actually was saying this very thing the other day at work about how I don't feel like I've changed since I was about 20. So I have to now actually think about how old I am when people ask me because I think, oh, am I not still 20? I'm I'm not still 20. There was a very famous uh, baseball pitcher many years ago in the States said, how old would you be if you didn't know how old you were? And (laughs) that's really how old you are. That's probably about seven in my head then. <laughs> well, there are days I feel 15 and there are days I feel 80, so I understand. Anyway, hey, welcome to the parlour. <laughs> Thank you. I swear, I'm such a terrible host. I always like, forget to actually introduce people and, and say hello and things because I'm too busy just gas-bagging instantly. So well, you want to you, you start over and, 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 and <laughs> they can hear all this and then they can hear a real beginning? I'll probably just record a, an introduction separately, simply because I always like trip over my introductions anyway. So that way I can record it like eighty-five times, and it won't affect you. <laughs> and you like it? Oh, you're breaking up a bit. Then hopefully it's uh, all right now. She says question mark. How's it going? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yep, yep, it's back to normal now. Oh, the internet, are you, Davy? Well, you know, the internet and that, all that big ocean between us, that'll do it. Well, yeah, that's uh, probably a bit of an issue, but I'm sure we'll uh, we'll figure it out. <laughs> I'm here, I'm yours, let's dance. Jolly good. Well, um, for those people listening out there who might not know who you are, like I say, I will record an actual introduction that's sensible, um, but do you want to just sort of give a brief overview of who you are and what you do? Who I am. I've, I've tried to figure that out for 60 years. <laughs> My name is Peter Spellos. I'm an actor. I'm a comedian. I'm a son. I, I'm a lover of everything silly. I'm a. I'm to be British citizen someday. Um, I, I'm just a fat kid from New York City who got to live his dreams. That's who I am. Oh bless you. I am. Um... I've noticed from the brief time that I've been sort of following you on Twitter and things that you quite like the UK. <laughs> You know, I was there 27 years ago when I was married, and I loved it back then. And the trip to auto assembly was just uh, transformational, and of course, pun intended there. It was, I was so overwhelmed with the actual genuine genuineness and kindness of the folks in the UK. And I just don't mean AA, I mean hotel, cab, airport, everybody was 
cheerful and friendly. Now, I know that's not like everywhere because, you know, they hear an American voice and go, oh, bloody shit, I have to be smart now, you know. <laughs> but I just found everybody to be warm and endearing, and especially the people at AA were just, I was overwhelmed with the love I felt for them and from them. That's nice. I um, I panicked a little bit about going to auto assembly because it's the first convention I've ever been to on my own, and uh, I had a bit of a freak out because <laughs> I'm not I'm not good at talking to people. Uh, you'd think doing podcasts that I'd get used to it, but no, that's not the case at all. And um, yeah, I sort of pretty much went along and sort of hid in a corner for most of the day. <laughs> Still good though. On your own and in a turtle dress. I don't know why you felt self conscious. <laughs> I did, you know, I did have somebody come over and ask if she could take a photograph of that dress. And I was like, oh, I, okay. Oh, I feel a bit weird. Um, that was quite nice. <laughs> oh, cripes, you've gone again. Can you hear me? Hello. Hello. Am I back? I'm going to turn off. I have the video on on this side. There we go. How's that? Oh, that's better. All right. There we go. Oh, jolly good. <laughs> so where, where were we, darling? What was I saying? Oh, yeah, I just said that um, I, yeah, a girl asked me if she could take a photograph of me in that dress, and I got so freaked out because that's literally never happened to me before. But it was quite nice. I felt quite special. <laughs> you are, and, you know, you, you, you learn to be, the camera is your friend. Oh, I don't know, because I've heard the camera adds £10, and I can't afford an extra £10. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? They don't like you how they are. Screw them. Well, indeed. But hey, this podcast's not about me. Well, it kind of is, but it's not. Let's talk about you and your acting. How did you get into um, acting? Was it live action stuff that you did prior to the voice acting? Oh, you know what? The voice acting, and I'll talk about that later, I really fell into. I was trained as a stage actor in high school. I was in what they called the drama workshop. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually was very much, and still am, into comedy and had a, a, my first comedy partner, and we performed at the high school. I actually performed at the junior prom, and we would do, um, we hosted a concert series at the high school, and, and beach clubs, temples, churches, wherever we could find people who wanted to uh, listen to us, we would we would do stand-up. You know, and it was, I always had a partner when I worked, because I was, my first loves were the black and white comedies, mm-hmm. uh, Laurel and Hardy, the Marx Brothers, Abbott Costello, and I always found it more interesting than, you know, uh, standing up there doing a monologue, more character, more two people in the situation, you know, and it goes something like this. It was, to me, that was more interesting working with somebody. Mm. And then uh, through high school, I went to the college in a place called CW Post College, which is Long Island University here in New York, and I got a BFA in theater, and I was on stage all the time. You can imagine the, the College program is 128 credits. 90 plus of my credits were in theater, and a qu- and a quarter of all my college credits I received for performance. Nice. And so I was always on stage from 18 till I graduated. You know, whether it be in small parts, leads, no matter what it was, and and really continued to grow my love for it. You know, working as a director as well. I had a teacher who said, you know, you have a good eye. You should look into directing and. I did that and then moved to New York City when I got um, out of college and started the career there. I, I, we produced, we would produce in the summers uh, up in Westchester in New Rochelle our own theater because you know nobody would hire us. We're all back from college, 
So we raised money from the community, rented out the, the high school auditorium, and attracted some great people. And would, I was producing at 18, 19 years old, you know, just because I, we wanted to work. If no one's going to hire you, you find a way to hire yourself. And then, go ahead. I was just going to say, that's really dedicated, because I don't think I know any 18-year-olds who do that. <laughs> well, you know what? This was a... I don't know, Stace. It was a, I think it was a special time I grew up in because I was 18 years old in 1972. Mm-hmm. And the country, you know, this country was still not as insane as it is today. And, you, you know, you, you truly believed you could do anything. And I was living in a small apartment on the Upper East Side, which was not a good neighborhood when I moved in. And it was paying $150 a month rent and I was on unemployment, so I, I could actually live. I could be a young actor and live, you know. It's not the same now. I, I was at a apartment the other night filming a TV show, and it was a what, what you guys might call a cold-water flat kind mm-hmm. of thing, just a small place. He was paying $1,500 a month for it. Oof. And I thought, I, I can't, I couldn't have lived. I was paying a tenth of that, you know, 30-plus years ago. So I think I grew up at a lucky time, and from there I, I was able to fall into. A, I found out I had a skill for improvisational comedy, and took an improv class with the group, a very famous group in New York called the First Amendment Comedy Improv Company. Mm-hmm. And, and within three weeks, they had me in the company. You know, so and then that began the, the next step of my career, which was doing improv three nights a week and two shows on Saturday, and making everybody everything up live in front of an audience. Uh, we had an accompanist, and we would do musical improv. And from there, I met a gentleman named Jim Brownell, the funniest man I ever knew. And he was working at the ABC FM affiliate here in New York called WPLJ. Mm-hmm. And we hit it off, and all of a sudden, uh, we started recording uh, comedy bits for the radio. And within a year, they had basically hired me part-time as the morning comedy team on the radio. Wow! I tell you what, I really wish I was. Uh, I wish I was funny. Was what I was about to say. Which is a terrible thing. Now I wish I was good at improvisation. I think it's something that um, they don't necessarily nurture it over here as much as I think they do in the US. And um, I just, oh, I just love improvised because I think it, it feels so much more like natural and less staged, and that sure, makes it funnier to me. Yeah, yeah. And you, you know, the the trick we always found was. The audience doesn't care if you if you fail, but they do care if you don't give your all and you try and fake it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I had an acting coach once say to me, fail gloriously. You know? <laughs> and if something didn't work, I learned to live my personal life like I did my stage life. If something went wrong, I let it go. I moved on to the next thing. You know, mm-hmm. hard to do in real life. But I had less of a judgment of myself when I was on stage than I had anywhere else. And again, when I found performing in my teenage years, it really gave me confidence. I went, wow, there's a lot of other sick, nutso people around here who aren't judging me, who are accepting me. And, you know, and that and the fact that, you know, I wasn't pretty, I wasn't an athlete, but the girls loved it when you made them laugh. And this was the great eureka moment of my life. (laughs) Holy cow, look at all the girls around me. I'm making them laugh. Hmm. I better learn how to do this really good or really well. So it was just I, I fell in love with the ability to be myself, you know, mm-hmm. not falling in love with myself, but the ability to create and and just play. 
which is why I loved AA and the Transformers. Here I am having a whiskey or ice cream at the bar with people from 15, 55, and they're all playing with toys. I love this. <laughs> I tell you what, my wallet took like such a beating at um at AI. <laughs> well, I was um, I was staring wistfully at uh, I know it's not Transformers related, so I probably shouldn't say this, but I was staring wistfully at a set of um there was a Dragon Zord and a Megazord from the Power Rangers, and they were seventy five quid each, and I, I think I dribbled all over those before I <laughs> they didn't end up becoming mine, which made me a bit sad. Well, you know, I would put it on. The list for Father Christmas. You never know what happens. <laughs> oh, I tell you what, my um, Father Christmas, aka my mum, uh, is probably cursing my name as it stands anyway because <laughs> it's uh, it's my birthday in a couple of weeks and my Amazon wish list has about two hundred things on it. <laughs> well, look at it this way: you've given her choices. Yeah, well, this is the, the the worst part is though that all my family members always text me and they say your wish list is just full of comic books and toys. Like, what can I actually buy you? And I'm like, um, co- comic books and toys, please. They're jealous. It's what I want. <laughs> when you when you when you are yourself, it puts up a mirror in front of other people, and what they see is their own reflection. That's the reflection they don't like because why aren't they having as much fun as you have? Do you know? I wonder this all the time. See, I know when to be responsible, but you don't have to be responsible all the time. <laughs> no, it's in fact being responsible is overrated a lot of the time. Yeah, it definitely is. Definitely is. You know, it, don't be an idiot. Be nice to people. You know, and live the life you want. It's really simple. I like this philosophy. I would subscribe to your newsletter. Well, you you already are, darling. You already are. <laughs> <laughs> So um, at least I know what to what to do for your birthday now. I go on the Amazon wish list for <laughs> something out. <laughs> Honestly, it's like it's like a mile and a half long. It's ridiculous. <laughs> That's all right. Who knew there was that much stuff? Let alone stuff that I would just want. But oh well, it's what happens. You, you just keep being you. That's the best you you can be. And, <laughs> and it's why I'm dying to go back to AA and why I miss you guys and. I I was home. I was surrounded with loving, positive, silly, insane people, and I went, "Oh my God, my family!" <laughs> yeah, I see. I um when I when I went to AA, I was so happy afterwards because I I went home on the Saturday and I I got, I got back to a house full of drunken people having an impromptu disco in my living room. But everybody wait, wait, was like, "Wait, wait, wait a minute." I, I didn't get invited to this. You would have been incredibly welcome if I'd have known it was happening, but I did not know it was happening until I got back from the con at about, I think it was just before midnight. Um, What's about the cell phone not working? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> next first, year. Next my year. First movie, my first movie as an extra was Saturday Night Fever. So really? Back, yes, ma'am. I was one of the kids on the dance floor. Nice. So, you know, you don't, don't invite me to your disco party. I'm broken hearted. Well, I tell you what, if you're if you're at auto assembly or even just visiting next year, you are most definitely invited to our impromptu living room discos. There's even a disco ball, don't you know? <laughs> oh, have you, I will get out a polyester suit just for you. <laughs> that I would love to see. <laughs> Somewhere there's a picture I'll find. Don't worry. <laughs> That's the one terrible thing about the internet, you know, is that pictures like that don't stay dead. <laughs> you know, this, I, I've done work on television and in theatre in drag. Oh, I've lost you again. Bottom. I believe we're back, yes. <laughs> Excellent. I was, I was saying, 
I've worn costumes for a living. I'm the first one that puts up the pictures of me looking ridiculous. I've actually said to friends of mine before, because there are a ton of ton of pictures of me on Facebook, and uh, a lot of them are of me either pulling a ridiculous face or in fancy dress. And <laughs> the very reason that I do that is because nobody can pick on your photos for looking like shit if you're looking like shit on purpose. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I'm the first one to open my closet and go, here's the skeleton, you're on your own. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So, um, sorry, taking it back. See, I told you, I did warn you beforehand that there would be Tangent City in this And in this I told you I'm improvisationally brought up, so I'll go anywhere you want to go. Oh, good. Well, um, sort of taking it back to, let's, let's go chronologically. So after you'd sort of hit the sort of comedy scene... How long was it before you were involved more in the sort of TV and film? Because I did a, did a spot of research and noticed that you managed to worm your way into the Men in Black film, which is pretty impressive. Well, I love enough, that movie. And I'll, I'll get to that story, but the, the first answer your first question, I was doing theatre in New York, and then I was doing radio. And uh, long story short, I met a friend who I was breaking up with my first fiance, sadly, and mm. needed a job. And... There was a, a, a restaurant that had a comedy club downstairs, and they needed someone to be a bouncer for St. Patty's Day. So I went and worked, but they knew I was a comic. And then four weeks later, the guy who was running the show downstairs couldn't do it. And they said, would you MC? We need someone to work this Friday night. Mm-hmm. I'd never worked without a partner before. And I went downstairs. I, I put some old routines together, and, and I MC'd the show. And the owner of the place came up to me and said, you're amazing. The room is yours. And I was like, Excuse me? <laughs> they said, the nightclub is yours. Do with it whatever you want. And all of a sudden, I was creative director of a comedy club in New York City called Who's On First. This was 1984. And I put together, I did what I knew. I put together my own improv company. Um, I hired comics that were already hired before I took over. And I started to put this great club together. And we were a pretty popular B-level club. We were doing, in the heyday, you know, four to six shows a week twice on Fridays, twice on Saturdays. And, it, it, you know, it kind of snowballs from there. While that was happening, I did uh, extra work on a TV show called Kate and Allie, which was um, Jane Curtin, and I, I can't remember the name, so I won't stammer. <laughs> but I got a laugh on a take that I did, on eye roll. I was just playing an extra in a waiting room, and she says something to me, and I look at her, I turn away and I roll my eyes, and a huge laugh occurred. Susan St. James, that's what the other actors were. They did the break. The director comes out of the booth. Now, the director is Bill Persky. He was a world-famous television director, did the Dick Van Dyke show and all the great black-and-white comedy. He looks at me and he goes, son, I've never seen an extra get applause in his life. Who the hell are you? You know, and I said, I'm Peter Spellos, you know. And from there, literally, less than a week later, I get a call from a woman named Karen Mandenbaum. She says, hi, I'm producing the new Bill Cosby show. Bill Presky tells me you're a, you're a very funny man. I said, well, thank you. She said, have you done studio warm-up before? I don't know if you don't. I don't know how it is in England, but they have a comic before the sitcoms warm up the audience, oh, kind of yeah. get them in, 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 in laughing shape. Mm-hmm. And I said, of course I have, and I never had before. <laughs> and they hired me on the spot, and I, and I did the first six um, Cosby shows in 1984. Wow. So. I fall into stuff, Stacey, but, <laughs> but but the improv training is what got me able to be fearless mm-hmm. on, on stage. So there I was warming up the TV show, and from there I performed at the Ed Sullivan Theater doing warm-up for uh, Robert Klein and Stiller and Mara, Ben's 
Ben Stiller's parents, who were a comedy team, a woman by the name of Melba Moore, who was a singer and a Broadway star. Then I had my nightclub, and all of a sudden, my career has taken off. And was, this is 1984 to 1988, so I was had done improv, I had my own nightclub, I was booking the talent, I was emceeing all the shows, uh, on stage with my own improv company. They hired me up at the comic strip to be the director of their improv company, and it was uh, it was pretty amazing, you know. And and just because I said yes to things, just because I was an extra who did a take, because that was the that was the right thing to do in the scene. I was I'm an actor, mm-hmm. you know. I don't consider myself an extra. I consider myself, you know, I wasn't trying to mug or anything. I wasn't trying to steal the scene. I was just reacting. And people notice, you know, when you have a presence, people notice. And of course, being 6'2 and, you know, about 300 pounds, you kind of get noticed <laughs> anyway. Um, and from there, I worked until 88, and I got married in 87, and that's a whole other story, and, and won a half a million dollars in a slot machine in Atlantic City with my future wife, and and that's a much longer story, but perhaps <laughs> for another podcast. But what was happening is that the marriage wasn't working out, and we, the government took half the money anyway, and we split up, and we split the rest of the money, and I took $50,000 and a car, and I went, you know what, I haven't had my film and TV career yet, and at 35 years old, I left for California. I left everything and everybody I knew. I knew a handful of comics in Los Angeles that had worked for me at my nightclub, mm-hmm. and I started my career there, and I was there performing 89 until I left two years ago in 2012 to come back and have, help take care of my mom, who's been ill in, in a nursing home. But but now to, to backtrack to Men in Black, I went to elementary school with Barry Sonnenfeld, who was a very famous director, who was the director of those two movies. Mm-hmm. And I actually got hired in the first Men in Black as a bartender who's uh, in a scene with Will Smith and Tommy Lee, who takes his face off to show them that there's a little alien in there. So they hired me very early on before the scripts were finished, and they sent me to Rick Baker. Rick Baker is a world-famous makeup artist in Hollywood. I mean, it was an honor to sit in his chair. And they did these head casts of me, you know, where they put you in plaster of parrots and they cover everything but your nostrils. Mm-hmm. They had to make a fake head of me, and they went to all this trouble, and I actually got to see my own head in a costume shop, which was very bizarre. I was going to say, that whole experience sounds terrifying to me. But... You really haven't lived till you've seen your head on a stick. <laughs> no. I had already done a head cast once because I, uh, um, I was in Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, where I actually turned into Freddy Krueger. Oh, God. You know, I do have a varied and strange career. Mm-hmm. But they wound up, the script wound up getting rewritten. And if you remember the original Men in Black, there was the jeweler who died, who had the little alien in his face, and he had the little necklace for the cat, and the whole universe was on the cat's chain. So they wrote me out of Men in Black 1. But when Men in Black 2 came along, they called me in for an audition then, and Barry was at the audition. So the first thing I said to him, I said, your mother was my art teacher, you were one grade ahead of me. And he goes, you're shitting me. (laughs) And we talked for like 10 minutes with the casting director sitting there with her mouth open, you know, about sixth grade graduation. And I said, you know, I have pictures from the, that I took at my sixth grade graduation. And needless to say, he read me for the lines. Two days later, they give me the part in Men in Black 2. And when I got to the set, I brought in all the pictures to show Barry. And he flipped, and he flipped out. Um, 
cut to the cast and crew screen. It was a great time. Will Smith was amazing to work with. They were. It was a week at Sony. They were really terrific people. But I'm sitting in the uh, audience for the cast and crew screening, and uh, Barry's assistant comes up to me, and he goes, I just want you to know Barry loved you in the movie. I go, thanks, thanks a lot. He goes, no, no, he really loved you. He talks about you on the DVD. I go, excuse me? Oh, he oh. says, we, we recorded the director's you know, perspective on the DVD, and during your scene, he talks about that you went to elementary school together. So it was a really amazing experience. And once again, Stacy, tying in whole parts of your life, it comes, boys and girls listening out there, it all comes full circle. So be kind to the people you meet on the way up, because they're the same people you're going to meet on the way down, all right? Yeah. And here I was in Men in Black 2, because I went to elementary school with Barry Sonnenfeld. So you got to be good, baby, but you got to be lucky, too, in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. That's why you can't worry about, oh, I didn't get cast. You know, in the grocery store, the cauliflower doesn't moan when the broccoli gets picked for dinner. But but actors tend to moan when, you know, I did my best job. They didn't pick me. And I would go, because I, I did 35 years of teaching. I'd tell my students, well, it's because they wanted somebody else, not because you did poorly, you know. They wanted someone else. So it's very difficult to take it personally in this industry. I mean, it's very difficult not to take it personally. Mm -hmm. I imagine you've got to have a bit of a thicker skin than your average Joe. Well, you really do because, you know, you walk in there, you lay it on the line for two minutes in an audition, and then you never hear back good or bad unless you get the part. Mm -hmm. So you don't know that you might have been brilliant, but they went with the short guy because the other guy, because the lead looks like you. you. You never know what's happening. Mm-hmm. All you can do is go and do your best work. And if you do your best work and you're a good person, they'll want to work with you. Because if, you know, if I go into a, an audition and there's a guy much like me and goes into an audition and he's an asshole and I'm not, chances are they'll want to work with me because they don't want to work with this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really about how you treat people. And, and you know, that's the thing that I, I most love my mom for is, is she raised us well. And you got to be kind, and it's really about being kind to people and not taking the Jim Brown told me years ago seven words. Are we taking this shit too seriously? <laughs> you know, and and if you don't, that doesn't mean you don't care, but you don't give it meaning where there none exists. So I'm going to get Buddhist on you in a minute here. <laughs> but give it no meaning because it has no inherent meaning. You do your best, and then go have a hobby, and then go home and play with your Transformers toys. You know. Mm-hmm. That's the best you can do. I think I need to like employ you as my personal um, guru type man because I, <laughs> you're saying a lot of things that make perfect sense to me, but it's just not how my brain works at all. Not a problem. I'm available for you know personal sessions, weddings, bar mitzvahs, whatever you need. <laughs> can yeah. I just get like a pocket Peter Spellos just to take around with me? You mean like what? a mini me? Yeah, just like whenever I'm feeling a little bit like everything's getting on top of me, I just pull you out of my pocket and you say something really motivational and awesome. I will be in your back pocket for the rest of our lives, mate. <laughs> That's actually quite creepy. Um, <laughs> and but it's creepy in a good way. Yeah, no, yeah. it's lovely. <laughs> no, it's um the in terms of sort of auditioning and things. I mean, I've just just put um an application in to be an extra in a film like uh, my my first one ever and my stomach's been in knots since i've done it i'm just like every time i check my emails i'm like <laughs> is it no it's fine oh, so <laughs> i really need to learn to loosen up is is basically what i'm saying here <laughs> it's true because you're giving it meaning it has no meaning mm-hmm. 
They, okay. might have, they might have another cute girl in glasses that they hired. You know, well, I, I keep trying to think to myself, you know, if it doesn't happen, what have I lost? Absolutely nothing. But um, that's like I say, my my brain and rationalness don't really go together. <laughs> it will. It, I promise you, as you as you age, that will they'll come to be one together someday. Fingers crossed, eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, taking it back to you though, because again, not about me. I noticed when I was doing a spot of research that you've done a lot of work in films that start with the word bikini. What's that about? <laughs> 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 I did my first film in California was a movie called Sorority House Massacre 2 <laughs> already it sounds brilliant I'll be honest it is and I went into the audition I had a manager uh, through a friend of mine got me for this manager and I went to this audition and I swear to you I walked in the room and there's I don't know 17 scantily clad women and me <laughs> And my first thought was, I love Los Angeles. <laughs> and I went in and did, the, I met the director, and I met, you've heard of Roger Corman, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the king of the B-movies. Yeah. And it was for his New Horizon pictures. And in the room was Julie Corman, his wife, who was producing, and a gentleman and now dear old friend named Jim Wynarski. And they had called me in for Orville Ketchum, the creepy next-door neighbor who is was really... You know, I, I hate to give away a plot, but it was really the red herring in the movie. Mm-hmm. Everybody thought he was the murderer, but in, when in the end, he turns out to be the good guy and save the girl. So I did sort of Orville, and I did Orville kind of kind of Southern and, and like he was on a lot of Thorazine. <laughs> and I did what I call the Orville shuffle, and I walked really slow. Like, you know, I thought of Cuckoo's, the one flew over the Cuckoo's Nest, you know. And and his first line is, my name's Ketchum, Orville Ketchum. Before I even auditioned, I looked at Jim and said, what is this, like Bond, James Bond? And he looked at me like, you get what I'm doing here. And I got cast in the movie, and it was an amazing experience because it was really guerrilla filmmaking. We worked six nights, 14-hour days, and did the whole movie in under a week. And it was the, – the girls kind of thought we were doing a serious movie. <laughs> but With that but, title. But, well, you know, when you ha- – ha- I don't want to disparage the people in it because they were great people, but a couple of the girls didn't have a lot of acting experience. Mm-hmm. So I think that was, they were hired because they looked the way they looked. I'm not, I'm not being derogatory or sexist because guess what? I was hired because I looked like the creepy next door neighbor. So I, I got typecast as well. <laughs> but I met some of the most sweetest people, Gail Harris and Melissa Moore. And just terrific, terrific ladies that we worked with. Because we were caked in rain and blood for about six nights. Lovely. But Jim and I knew we were doing a comedy. And Jim, I remember one night, it was, and I'll tell you a story because I figure we got a couple hours here. <laughs> um, it was, you know, you, you work long days and nobody's working for a lot of money. And and Jim was, some some key grip had fucked up the lighting. Uh, can you say fucked up on the internet? Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. Uh, you can definitely say it in the parlor, considering the fact that I dropped the C-bomb nearly every other episode. So it's you fine. English love that C-word, i got to tell you. It's, uh, <laughs> Do you know, my mum straight up hates it, but I, I, I just don't see how it's any different from saying twat. So. No, it's not. And, and this is going to be I've, 60 years. I've been 40-plus years in the show business. And never have I said this on, on the air. Cunt. Yay. I, love, I, love new, I have a new place in my, in my, in my career here. So anyway, Jim, Jim was chewing out this guy, a new asshole. And it was dead silence. I mean, 
It was late at night. Everybody was tense. Uh, it, you could cut it with a knife. And all of a sudden, I start applauding. I went. And I went, ladies and gentlemen, Jim Winarski, stay tuned because the Jim Winarski dancers will be right out. And he whipped around and looked at me and smiled because I broke the tension for everybody. And Jim and I became friends immediately. Found out we had a similar love for, um, I'm getting to the bikini part, don't worry. <laughs> a similar love for Abena Costello and Superman. We basically are the same age and grew up watching TV and it was an amazing experience. Roger Corman, needless to say, Roger Corman loved it so much that three weeks later, we basically came and did the sequel, which was the same movie over again with a couple of different twists called Hard to Die. Mm -hmm. And that time, Jim let me a little more freedom with the improvisation, if you ever see it. But Orville Ketchum became this, because this, I don't know, it's literally, and I'm not pulling your leg here, but it's become this icon of B-movie dumb. Mm -hmm. People loved the character so much. I get as much fan response for people who know me as Orville mm -hmm. than I do for people who know me as Skybike. So I've done two Roger Corman movies, and then Jim just started to hire me in his other movies. I met a wonderful man, another great, great film director called Fred Olin Ray. And Jim and um, Fred directed a uh, movie called Dinosaur Island. And it was Army Guys, Cave Girls in Bikinis, and Stop Action Motion Dinosaurs. Yes, please. Yeah, you, you, oh, yes, please. If you can rent <laughs> it and get a VHS, or I know it's on American Netflix. I don't know if it's on English, UK Netflix. Well, I'm, I'm going to find out. <laughs> but I met Fred, and we started working together. And again, it was my first screen kiss, and that's a whole other story, perhaps for later. But within a five-year period then, I had done about 25 movies for Fred and Jim. It's well over 30 now. And... First one was, you could probably find it called uh, B uh, Bikini Drive-In, mm -hmm. where I played one of the mob guys, and I kind of talked like this. He was a little dumb, you know, hey, boss, do I want candy? You know, <laughs> kind of, you know, big guy in a fedora. It, it, actually, we were filming the night of the Northridge earthquake. That's how I remember when we were filming. Um, but as the years went on, Jim and Fred would call me in for comedy, for I got a scene, I got you as the weird, this guy, you're the gas station attendant, you're the guy at the car wash. So needless to say, I had done, at the time, six movies with the word bikini in the title. Um, and now here's another true story. One night, I'm at home by myself with my poor cat who has passed on, my little loving Athena. We're sitting on the couch and we're sharing some, how do we put this, um, she's having some catnip. And and so am I. <laughs> and we're watching the television. And I turn this movie on. I swear to God, it's it's like Bikini Shopping Mall or something like that. And I, I look at the cat because I talk out loud to everything and everybody. And I look at the cat. I take a little catnip and I say to her, you know, thank God I wasn't in that one. <laughs> and I swear to the heavens, the minute it came out of my mouth, I appear on the screen. <laughs> Going, I play the cop. Freeze! Nobody move. And I went, holy shit! I forgot about that one. So the cat laughed. I laughed. We had a good time. We had a little more catnip. And uh, and I looked at my career, going, I'm a lucky man. So yes, yeah, seven pictures with a bikini in the title. I'm proud of each one in its own silly way. See, this is the thing that I love about about B movies in particular is that I mean, whilst I do like my favourite film in the world is um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which 
is a very serious quite sad film um and whilst i do love stuff like that and i think there's definitely a place for like super clever films like inception and stuff sometimes you just want to throw a dvd on and have a laugh and not really you know not get bombarded by emotions and intelligent you know smart sciencey crap like sometimes you just want to see a dinosaur eat a guy i I promise dinosaur island delivers (laughs) (laughs) oh man i'm gonna have to see if we can get that on our netflix Get a pizza and a brewski and sit down because you're going to laugh. And, you know, if you go to my Facebook page and you look at my photos, you'll see recently they put up a lot of photos from Dinosaur Island. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid. I, my hair's not gray and I have no facial hair. Oh, I like the facial hair. I um, I can't quite get used to it because I'm so used to seeing my hubby with quite a full beard. I can't. I don't quite trust a man with a, a shame, shaven face now. <laughs> Well, you can always trust me then, because this goatee ain't going anywhere. Good. I love a bit of face fuzz. <laughs> could just say face fuzz again. Face fuzz. I love your accent. I could, I could listen to you talk. <laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm gonna marry a UK girl someday again. I, you know, I, not that I married one before, but I've always loved. I just love the UK over and over and over. So if there's any girls listening out there. <laughs> I'm available for weddings, bar mitzvahs, and uh, Stacy's back pocket. So just please, please do contact me. Well, my mom's single, so you know, could set you up there. Hey, well, you just know what? <laughs> it started with a podcast, and now we're family. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? My mum listens to this. I don't know if she'll be happy with me sort of whoring her out. But, um... That's all right. Well, I'm a bit of a tramp myself. So, <laughs> um, if you're listening, let's Skype, okay? <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, I'll just, uh, what I'll do is next year when you come to auto assembly, because I'm assuming that you're just going to come anyway, um, and you come to my impromptu living room barbecue uh, slash disco afterwards that we don't barbecue in the living room by the way the barbecue happens in the garden and then the disco happens in the living room i'll just accidentally invite my mom and then you know we'll see what happens it's it's nice of you taking care of the old folks huh? <laughs> oh, i don't know if my mom would appreciate mom, being referred to as old folks yeah mom if you're listening i didn't mean old folks i, <laughs> I like to say that to the younger kids to make them feel good about themselves <laughs> Well, like I say, in my head, I'm still 20 anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> You'll always be the girl in the dark glasses and the turtle dress for me. Oh, man. I, do you know, I'm still really embarrassed about that, that whole convention experience. Like, I should quantify this for the listeners. When I went to auto-assembly, Townsend Coleman was there, um, and I made a bit of a twat of myself. And then I made a bit of a twat of myself in front of you as well when I just sort of went over and went, hello, I thought you were great, bye. <laughs> I ran off. Because <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm not good with people. It was um, adorable. I, I'm telling you, because, you know, sometimes we get treated like we're somebody special and we're just, we're just, we're, we're no more special than you, my love. You know, it's just that we're all the same. See, I don't know what it is about, um, it's particularly voice actors. Like, I'm really bad. I don't know if it's because... I mean, especially with somebody like Townsend, like his voice to me is associated so much with things that got me through like shitty times at school when I was a kid. Right. But the instant I went over to him and he started talking like Michelangelo, I just died and just my knees just melted. And I was like, no, nope, I can't have a sensible conversation with you, you Michelangelo. <laughs> oh, and just you know, it was, fell over. That was one of the most amazing things, because especially with voice work, and we haven't talked about that much, but for the most part, you're not in a room like you are with a theater. You're not in front of an audience. You're not even with the other actors. You're in a booth. You have a pair of headsets on. You're looking at a little TV screen. 
there's an engineer and a director in the other side of the glass, and you're basically creating in a bubble. Sometimes you're creating your scene, and nobody else's dialogue has been recorded yet. So you don't know the lives you touch. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll go back to when I was working in the radio in WPOLJ. We were doing a, a an event, a charity event. Now I'm 26. I'm way over my head. I'm signing autographs. In the evenings, I'm working at a deli slicing roast beef. You know, I, I was... I was a fish out of water, but I was living the dream. And we're signing these autographs of our pictures. And this girl is sort of looking at me, giving me the stink eye. You know? and, and I'm wondering what's going on. She's getting closer, closer. And she finally gets up to me and she goes, I don't want your autograph. And I, and I went, fine, that's, that's okay. And she takes a deep breath and she goes, I just want you to know you make it easier for me to get out of bed in the morning. And she walked away. And I swear to you, Stacy, it changed my life. Because all of a sudden, I had a grasp of, oh, I'm just not doing this for me. There's people that are listening, you know, what I call normal people, people with real jobs, real working people who are not, not you know, well, I was working for a living as in the evening, but show business and working in the entertainment industry can be, you know, a little heady, even if you don't let it get to your head too much. But I realized that, oh, my God, I'm not in a bubble here, and that I'm touching people by just being me. And it was like I got an understanding of the bigger picture that I think it helped me become a teacher, too, because I wanted to impart this to everybody I met. Mm-hmm. So when I came to auto assembly, you know, I've had a rough couple of years with illness and then selling everything in California to get back to my mom to help take care of her. It's been a very difficult few years for me. And when and I had actually turned down auto assembly one or two times because I was just not in a great place. Mm-hmm. But when Simon asked me for the 30th, I went, I got to do this. I said, I just, you know, this is, you know, I want a little piece of my life back. And when I got there, the first thing that happened is Rebecca um, Huddle, I, I don't remember the last name, I think, and if you're listening, you can smack me when you see me. But she's this sweet French girl, and she goes, you know, Skybite? I go, yeah. I made you something. And it's like, excuse me? And she goes into her, her bag and she pulls out a foot long or longer shark plushie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that she had made for me. And I'm, I was so moved. I went, well, you got to autograph it. She goes, what? I go, what do you think? Autographs go in one direction? I says, I want you to sign this for me so I always have it. And it was that sort of love, Stacy, that I felt all week. People were bringing me DVDs of movies I did. Somebody brought one of, of Orville. Believe me, there's always someone who knows my work in B-movies. Because if the bus hit me tonight, the news would say, B-movie actor Peter Spellow died today. You know, that's what I would be remembered for, and gratefully so. But I was so overwhelmed, and I had that echo to that girl when I was 26, of what we did was fun. But the lives that it touched is amazing. Because it touches the, I get to be the conduit between my childhood and yours. And all of a sudden, it bring, it puts you in this room where you literally, I felt I was amongst my family. Because not, and I, I will never call the people I met, and I really try hard, fans there. Because I don't want to ever put myself in a position where you think I'm above this. I am, this is family. I, I am one of you. I'm just that kid from New York who followed his dreams. I just got a head start, you know? That's all I have on you. The only difference between you and me is I got a little longer head start on you here. And I didn't even fall into voiceovers till I was close to, to 40, you know? So I, I 
I was just so overwhelmed by the love I felt from the people. You know, when someone says, I've always wanted to meet you, that's, you know, that's a pretty heavy narcotic. <laughs> or it, it can be because you go, really? I'm just a schmuck. I'm just a hack comic guy, you know, and I have the same loves as you. You know, when David Wallace, who I love David to death, found that I was a Superman freak and asked me Superman questions on stage. Well, at the bar later that night, we wound up having a dissertation on Superman for about an hour. <laughs> and, I went, and I went, I'm you. This is this. I, I'm, there's no difference. I'm you. I'm you guys. You know, and that was the main thing I took away from from AA. I was amongst my family. And I just got to say right now, and I, I don't I don't want this to get passed without me thanking Simon Plum and his wife, Trish, who put on an amazing, amazing event um, and treated me better than a shark should be treated <laughs> with graciousness and and I'm going to leave out names, but I don't want to leave out Billy Edwards and Tori O'Regan and my new Skype friend, Catherine Bacon and and Sam and and everybody. And I don't want to start naming because the three I'm going to leave out, I'm going to get shot for. And, and just the, the volunteers were the greatest people in the world and <clears throat> kept asking me that they could do something for me. And the only thing I'd say is just make sure I have a chair there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't stand for long periods of time. Mm. But I'm so appreciative of all that they did, and I was I was honored to be a guest of honor. And I don't think they're going to ask me back next year because you know who wants to see me two years in a row? But but damn, I want to be there, and I, and I I want to be like a permanent fixture, and not because for anything less than I want to be with all you guys again because I breathe I I breathe better around people like you. You know, and, and that's what I miss. And again, to be able to sit here with you a month later, God, it's a month already, huh? Oh, no, I can't believe that. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I, I know either. I told you I could talk for hours, didn't I? That's fine. It's absolutely <laughs> fine. To be fair, like, I could probably talk for hours just about auto-assembly on its own because I was pleasantly surprised by how good it was because I was concerned being somebody who's only sort of... I mean, I didn't realise there was so much Transformers out there. <laughs> like, that sounds terrible. Call myself a fan. But I was only really aware of, like, the original cartoon. And when I got there, I thought, everybody's going to know that I don't know what they're talking about. But it was so stupidly friendly. And I'm, I made a friend there called Paolo. If he's listening, hello. He's one of only three people I gave my business card to, so he better be listening. Uh, <laughs> and um, I just thought it was a really nice... It was so not everybody was so lovely. Like I didn't feel the only time I felt weird was when I left, and that was when my stupid social anxiety brain kicked in. And it was the weirdest thing that did it. It was the fact that I didn't have anybody to say goodbye to when I left, which sounds really strange. But I sort of I think it was about half ten. It was after the script reading that I had to go and get my last train, and I got I got onto the train, and I just suddenly thought oh, nobody knows that I was there or that I've left. And I got really weirded out by it. So I thought, oh, I could die and nobody there would know. <laughs> what a weird thought to have. No, well, first of all, you could have said goodbye to me. Well, I could have. But, you know, I didn't realise you were so super nice and friendly. Uh, <laughs> and I am a massive bag of nerves. <laughs> don't worry about it. You know what, Stace? I think the main drive that we humans have, and I don't always conclude myself in that group, is, is not to be loved, but we want to be known. You know, we want to be known and we want to be heard. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the drive to be known kind of takes over. And and it's first of all, it's just great knowing you because you're full of life. You're full of energy. You know, 
we've talked about some great cocktails I'm going to have with you next time I'm in the UK. <laughs> if you don't try tequila over sorbet anytime soon, I'll be really disappointed is all I'm going to say. Someone told me one the other day an Irish car bomb. Oh, what's in that? It's a Guinness and you drop a shot of Bailey's Irish cream in there. That actually sounds kind of brilliant. Doesn't it? Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm going to not have one till I get back to the UK. And then I'm going to have many. There's um there's a website somewhere that just gives you a list of cocktails that you can have with Guinness. <laughs> we um we looked this up because we discovered that I don't like Guinness on its own. Uh, it was St Patrick's Day one year, and my half Irish friend was like, "You've got to have a Guinness," and I was like, "Oh, but it tastes like sweat and ugh." So he put uh he went online and he found me a nice Guinness cocktail that was essentially Guinness rum and then a little bit of Coke. Oh, it was amazing. I think I did that in the 80s. So good. I think they called it a spiced Guinness because it was spiced rum, and I was all over that, like white on rice. It was so scrummy. Well, I'm talking about a different kind of Coke anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Like really Sorry, my husband just walked into the room listening to a podcast on his phone. I'm like, dude, my mic will pick that up. <laughs> Twit. <laughs> So um, how did you fall into the voice acting then? Because we haven't really talked much about that. I was I was on the set of a, a TV show I was filming called um, uh, the FBI, The Untold Stories. Mm-hmm. Sort of like a, you, you have a show that was in England as well called Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. So it's a recreation of, of events. So um, And I actually was on Unsolved Mysteries as well. Because, you know, we actors, we take the work where it comes. So I was on the set doing this show. And I get a call from a buddy of mine, and he says, can you come in for an audition? I said, no, I'm filming. He said, well, there's a part that you're perfect for, oddly enough, a shark creature um, <laughs> called Admiral Malco from a series called Space Strikers, mm-hmm. and for Fox Kids. I said, well, can you audition? Can you, you have a little time to audition? Here's the director's phone number. Give him a call, and um, we'll see what happens. I said, great. He's a dear friend of mine. He was a top voiceover guy for many, many years. Townsend knows him. His name is Kevin Schoen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was best man at his wedding. Uh, you know, he he was the one who got me into this because I called the director, Stu Rosen, sort of a nasally kind of guy like this. And uh, he says, let me give you the lines. And literally, I'm standing on a payphone by a dumpster, and I, and I pull a, a plate out of the dumpster, a paper plate, and I write the lines down on it. And he says, all right, do these for me. And I, I did the line and sort of, you know, it's sort of like my pre-Skybite voice. Mm-hmm. In fact, Stu used to, he used to say to me, because he hired me for a whole bunch of series after that, he said, Spellos, don't you do any other voices? And I went, no, I don't. You hire me for the one you like, and that's what you get. So I did the thing, and he said, all right, come in tonight to the studio at 7 o'clock. And I get there, and there's this amazing cadre of voiceover actors there, just terrific people. And little did I knew, know that it was a recurring character. And I wound up doing like 14 of the 26 episodes. Ooh. And all of a sudden, I'm in a cartoon series that's on Fox Kids. Well, Stu's having another project called Battletech. Sort of, think of it in, 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 in Transformers terms. It's robots, battle mechs, where they sit inside. More like Pacific Rim. Nice. You know? And uh, again, I, I did this Major, Major Hawk Hawkins. You know, don't put me on, Major. I was in the real wars kind of guy. Military. Booked it. So the first two voiceover jobs, I book. And then I fell into this wonderful group of people that were doing voiceovers, and they became friends, and 
we would play poker together and and they would then start to bring me in in projects because you know i was an actor and i'm a good actor but i wasn't a voiceover artist mm -hmm. but i had sort of a knack to do the voices i had you know done a lot of dubbing for my own movies because you know i've been acting at, by that time for 10 years in, in in california so i was i had a skill that i didn't know i was decent at and they began to book me in all kinds of stuff and and one of them was this little series called Transformers in 2001. I didn't even know that um, Robots in Disguise existed until uh, until Auto Assembly. And I happened to catch an episode that had Skyboy in it that was played at the con. And um, I kind of fell in love with him immediately. He's brilliant. <laughs> well, thank you. You know, the people I was working with knew my talent, knew what I could do. And I, and I say talent because, you know, it, it, you have a talent for improvisation so i was not afraid to be big or over the top and i i sort of based him somewhere between dr smith from lost in space and tom waits you know <laughs> sort of kind of the love child of those two and you know they're doing an american script version from the japanese so they're staying true to the script sometimes and not true to the script sometimes mm -hmm. the weirder i got the weirder they wrote for me <laughs> and the bigger i got i had done I had done a series called Eagle Riders, which originally was a Japanese series called Gachaman. And I played Cybertron, the evil voice of the universe. You know, always playing this sort of guy here, faux English, deep in the back of the throat. You know, saying things like, set a course for Earth. You know, and get, getting to say all those great cartoon lines you've always wanted to say. And, and, and there I am, doing all this stuff. Sorry, can you just? Um, I'm really sorry. There's a spider dangling from the, the curtain, and I've had to get Rich to squish it for me. Oh, no. I'm no. just getting really distracted because I'm shitting myself. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Sorry, Rich. It was just. It, it, I texted Rich about five minutes ago, and I've been staring at it since. I have been listening. I just, you know, didn't want it to, like, jump on my face. <laughs> it's on that bit of curtain there that's, like, looping outwards, Rich. It's really weird because you can barely see it because the curtain's almost the same colour. Up at the top, Rich, like right on the edge of the curtain part. I hope the fans are enjoying this right now. Ooh, did you get down dropping on the bed? Oh, for God's sake. I think I just shit myself. <laughs> There's an image for the listeners. Thanks, Rich. You're my favourite husband. Thanks, Rich. You're my favourite friend's husband. <laughs> I should like to think he's my only husband. Oh, I feel a bit bad now. He looked a bit grumpy about that. Oh, well. <laughs> That's what you get when you marry me. I'm scared of things. Look, when you open the door later, if he's still there, everything's fine. <sighs> right. <Yeah. laughs> Sorry, Skyboy, we were saying. No, we were just saying that uh, you fall into one thing and you get called in for another and then all of a sudden you're doing Transformers and the writers let me get... Weirder and weirder, and they'd write it weirder and weirder for me. And one day at the end, we would record one of the episodes, and he says, you're going to sing today. I went, Yay. what? He goes, you're going to sing. I go, all right. I said, what do you got for me? He goes, I don't know. I said, okay. When it's time, I'll make something up. And I literally made up that little Sky Bite song, you know. And yes, I'll sing it. Yay. Who's the greatest truck around? Sky Bite, that's me. And they <laughs> laughed in the booth, and he went, perfect. And now I'm famous for Orville Ketchum and the Skybite song. I love a good sing song, I do. I think and I be happy. one of the um one of the reasons I loved Skybite so much having seen only one episode is the fact that he's incredibly weird. Because he kind of reminds me of like a less violent Deadpool. <laughs> 
he's like the Deadpool of Transformers in that his brain doesn't quite work how it should, right. but he's still brilliant. And and yet, you know, he tries to be bad, but he really is good. And uh, I, I believe I told this story at um, at AA. But when we filmed, or excuse me, recorded one of the episodes, it had recently been 9/11 in 2001 here in the states. You know, and and we had never seen anything like that in our lives. And the episode Skybite Saves the Day, if you remember, was this building, this tall building that was going to collapse and and tumble down. And they actually never showed it here because they thought it was too close to home for anybody and didn't want we recorded it. And you guys had seen it. In fact, the first time I saw that episode was less than six, seven months ago when someone sent it to me via YouTube. Oh, wow. So there were weird little stories like that, but we always had the greatest fun in the booth. And again, I'm going to leave names out. But first of all, Mike McConaughey, who was at AA, who I call my sensei, really one of the great men in the voiceover industry and a man I'm honored to call friend, was one of the directors and Richard Epcar and Steve Kramer and Mike Sorich and Kirk Thornton, all these terrific people. And, uh, uh, you know, when you have dinner and you play poker with somebody, you kind of get to be close. And they had called me in originally, um, Mikey did, and, and on um, Digimon. And I had done, I did three Digimon characters, uh, Grizzlymon, Waymon, and Merrimon. And again, I, I've gotten to be part of many great franchises in my career. You know, I've been killed by Lois Lane. I, I've been neuralized by Agent J. I, I turn into Freddy Krueger. I've been interrogated by Perry Mason, you know, and I'm an evil transformer. I, you know, I, I lived a pretty interesting life. <laughs> That's a pretty impressive CV, to be fair. You know, it, 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 I, I've been lucky to fall into the franchises, you know. Only once did I do a voice that was really a stretch for me. Another amazing director, her name is Wendy Lee, and a terrific actor and voiceovers herself, cast me as Gilliam, the ship's computer in Outlaw Star. Hmm. And and basically, you know, I did C-3PO the whole time. <laughs> you know, we're coming in at six plus X, you know, just sort of a very soft, you know, faux British kind of version of it. And again, Stace, I, I'm a lucky, lucky boy. I've gotten to do so many wonderful things. And if, and if I never did another one, I would say that I won. You know, I got to live the life I wanted to. I became the man I said I would become. It does sound like you've done an absolute shit ton of amazing stuff. I can't believe... Can we talk more about the fact that you were killed by Lois Lane, please? Yes, please. <laughs> because that's just... Was that part of the Lois and Clark series? Yes, it was. Yeah. You know, you got to understand, and I told you before, I was a huge Superman. Um, in fact, someday I'll, I'll put, there's a picture of me on my photos on Facebook when I did it in my 20s, but I was always in my Superman costume when I was three, four, five years old. My mother, we just when we moved her out of, out of the house seven months ago, still has my Superman uniform. Wow. I have that uniform. So when I got cast in Lois and Clark, I was actually filming a show called Caroline in the City. And they called me to set, and I, it was over at Warner Brothers. And the character called for is even said Elroy Sykes, a weaselly snitch of a guy. <laughs> so, and I'm not, you know, I'm not weaselly unless you know the weasel has a thyroid problem. <laughs> <clears throat> and I was the last one to audition for the day. And I kind of come, I'm right at the end, I'm kind of rushing, and I did the character. And you always think, well, they're not going to book me as this. They're looking for a little guy. By the time I got home, I had booked Lois and Clark. 
and it's on Warner Brothers. And I'm still a child when I would film on the major studio lots because I would giggle like a schoolgirl, like <clears throat> I'm working at Warner Brothers today. You know, I have a dressing room at Warner Brothers. And when I got to the set, because the main set on Warner Brothers, that was the main show they were doing. And it was downtown Metropolis, Daily Planet building, other courthouse, other stuff. Oh, I called amazing. my mom. I, it was. I called my mom from the, you know, from the from the set. And I went, Mom, I'm in Metropolis. I made it into the television again. And worked with Terry Hatcher, and she was a love. And it was an episode called The People versus Lois Lane, because she went on trial for murder. Mm-hmm. And Alan Rachins was the evil professor. Alan Rachins was, uh, had a great stint on a show called L.A. Law in the early and mid-'80s uh, on television. And he was playing the professor who was getting back at Lois Lane, and I was the evil the snitch, Elroy Sykes. And she shoots me in Metropolis. And it's that's a, amazing. I can't, that's ridiculous. It was a terrific scene. And Terry Hatcher was great. And we, you know, she's a, she's a vegan, so we talked about it. And I had a girlfriend at the time who was also a vegan. So we were talking about locale salad dressings that didn't have any gluten in it. <laughs> no, and I'm thinking, this is just bloody ridiculous. <laughs> that must have been so surreal. It, my whole life is surreal. It's, True. I'm living, I live in a David Lynch movie which is animated by Disney half the time. <laughs> Do you often break into song with birds? Uh, no, no, I'm not that oh, weird. That's a shame. No, I usually break into a slow voice and shuffle across the room. And <laughs> I, I, I get weird. That's fine. I, I prefer weird. I think weird is interesting. Yes, normal is boring as hell. Yep. Not going to get that with me, baby. Sorry, I was just... Trying to suppress a burp and failing. <clears throat> that, that is why. <laughs> oh, excuse me. I do apologise if you heard another sort of clanging. There was yet another spider that I had to get Rich to come and deal with. <laughs> I don't know what's happening, and now I'm getting freaked out that there's like a nest in here or something. <laughs> do spiders nest? Ugh. I don't know, but they nurture, so that's probably a little different. Oh, gross. <clears throat> anyway, oh, I'm all itchy now. Nah, it's distracting me a little bit. So, hey, um, taking it off topic ever so slightly, because since I've discovered that you're a Doctor Who nerd and two new episodes have been on, I, I can't I can't leave it a month to discuss it with somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> How are you feeling about new Doctor Who? I well, assume, have you seen them both? I've, I've seen them both twice. Because oh, I, I watch it live on the BBC America. Mm-hmm. And because I'm an actor and I'm a director and I'm a writer, the next morning I buy it from iTunes so I can really watch it. Because mm-hmm. I want to watch it as a fan the first time. But you kind of can't take the actor out of you. And then I want to listen to the scene dialogue. I want to I look at the shots and I go, what's he saying? And, you know, I, I, I break it down. Not as a critic, but as a student. Mm-hmm. And that's different. I, I, I'm not big on criticizing. You know, if I don't like green beans, I don't eat green beans, but I don't disparage them. You know? <laughs> Yeah. I always find the good in something. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of the haters. And I think people take their own shit too seriously, as you know. And I think what you got to find is why it's working. And, and, and you know, I, I heard a lot of people, well, I'm not sure about the new. And, and I go, well, you, you wouldn't judge a book by the first paragraph. You know, this is a story that's arcing. They're setting things up in the first episode that they might not pay off till the next segment of this. You know, so I I thought two things in the first episode. Capaldi, and I found out that's how you pronounce his name, not Capaldi, because we did the short A thing here in the States, (laughs) was wonderfully brilliant. Was the scenes were just rich 
He's interesting to look at. He's interesting to watch. The whole scene in the alley with is a sharp eyebrow. Is a you open a bottle, you know. I'm, I'm Scottish. I'm Scottish, you know. It's it's really a brilliant scene. Have you seen this face before? You know. And I'm basically doing my Barry Shaw impression. <laughs> I met Ed there, and pure dead brilliant, you know, as he taught me. And the other thing was, I thought Jenna Coleman was terrific. I thought it was her best, could have been her best work in the series so far. And I like her. But I thought that the depth of the writing for her was really great because she was um, tortured. You know, she wasn't just playing the schoolgirl, which I, I'm kind of worrying about with the love interest with Mr. Pink, that she might get a little too schoolgirly. Mm -hmm. Because I think she's, as an actor, she has more depth than that. And I think... I think the more interesting story is how kind of tortured she is with the with the writer. I think she and uh, Capaldi played off really, really well with each other. Also, the fact that you know Madame Vastra, Jenny, and Strax, who you know Strax just makes me laugh. I adore that's, Strax. That's the character I want to play. That's who I would be in Doctor Who. I absolutely adore Strax. The part in the uh, in the first one where he asks her if she wants the newspaper and she says, yeah, and he just like twats her in the face with it. I was crying. I was properly crying. So brilliant. I am... Comedy. And, you know, he was great. He and Matt Smith did a great turn in the, uh, in the, the Christmas episode where you meet um, Jenna Coleman for the second time. Mm -hmm. You know, they just were this Laurel and Hardy kind of character. You know, with each other, and I think I don't know Dan. I forget his last name. The actor who plays it. It's just first of all, they need their own series um, when the time comes. But second, again, on Moffat's part, and I don't, I don't have a problem with him. It seems a lot of people do, but I thought it was brilliant to have them in the episode because it bridges the the whiners, you know, who want something from the you know the Matt Smith era to the Capaldi era, and also the fact that. They had that scene, and I read somewhere where Smith actually filmed his part of the, the phone call scene when they were doing his last episode. You know, they had already known that was going to be in. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was really touching and basically was talking to the fans, going, hey, give him a chance. It's me. He's okay. You know, I, I like when I know as an actor, I can kind of see what the director and the writer are saying to us. You know, I didn't think it was heavy handed, you know, and and I loved Missy, you know, and what's that all about, I? Well they they dropped these little red herrings line, you know, like you spoke to my boyfriend and then you think, Well, is, is that River? You know? And then there's a shot of where she's living in the garden that looked like a shot of the episode when I don't remember what when Amy became the older Amy, and she had a sword, and she was going with the robot. Oh, the girl who waited. What an amazing yeah, The girl who waited. There's a similar shot in The Girl Who Waited that was in that. So there's speculation. Is it Amy? And I go, I don't know, and I don't care. I just know it's evil Mary Poppins. <laughs> and she has lots of tea and cake, and that's wonderfully creepy because she has an evil face, mm -hmm. you know. And, and I don't mean that personally, but I mean she has those dark eyes. And those scary eyebrows, you know, and I, I love to see where that's going to go. And they're, I'm sorry, they're like, you know, they're like a girl showing just a little cleavage at a time. They're just giving us a little peek of the package, 
you know. I know. I'm so excited for the rest of the series because I was a bit trepidatious simply because I don't, I didn't warm to Clara at all in the last series. Um, but I think already the fact that this sort of mystery surrounding who she is, like why is she the impossible girl, now that that's gone, she's much less of a plot device and more of a character and already I like her more. Right, I liked her in the the um, what was the last one? The name of the doctor, the day of the doctor. I know? think it was yeah, I think it was the name of the doctor. The yeah. And yeah, I thought again having her be the impossible girl was a wonderful way to tie you know because I watched those two episodes right before I watched the premiere because I just wanted I wanted to slide into it you know I wanted to, to get the connection going. Mm-hmm. And the second episode again they tied in the Madame Pompadour in the first episode. The dinosaur was the only thing that was a, a useless conveyance wasn't necessary because they got rid of it 10 minutes into it and it never played into it oh know? yeah that's that's I true was, i think it was more for showing it in the movie in 3d and it was more sensational mm. you know dinosaurs on a spaceship was a much more fun way to have dinosaurs in doctor who i love that episode yeah me, me too and and uh and the, the second episode which was i'm trying to you know i'm 60 now i'm, I'm <laughs> First one was the robots of Madame Pompadour, and the second one was which? Uh, I think into the into the Dalek was it? Oh, is that, what it, is that okay. what it was called? Yeah. I forget. I, again, I thought that was a wonderful expose on dealing with a soldier's conscience, mm-hmm. on what a, on what war is about. I love the I love the nerd references to Fantastic Voyage. I think. I think I've lost you again. Oh, we were doing so well. I'm having an internet problem too because when it gets hot in here, sometimes the connection shuts down. Oh, I see. It's not. It's not just you subtly trying to tell me to sod off. <laughs> Never. <laughs> not. A, how would I get my invite to the disco party next year? That's true. It's, it's the place to be as well. I'm going to be there. Don't you worry. <laughs> I think we were just talking about uh, uh, Capaldi and and his asides, and that it really lives in the character. Will. will how he references himself in the in the former episodes, and it was it, it was great. It was you know a little homage to Fantastic Voyage, you know for those who remember that movie. And uh, I can't wait to each you know I stopped going on the internet on Saturdays um, in the <laughs> afternoon because I don't want any of you bloody people to give away what's happening that evening, you know because I don't get it till nine o'clock on BBC America. So that would be well, about two in the morning your time. Yeah, the internet's a mean place when it comes to things like that. Because, like, I think it depends where you're spoiling. Like, if you're listening to a podcast like this, you've got to accept a certain level of spoilage. But, like, if I'm just checking my Facebook feed, like, last year I got really infuriated because I was out at a birthday party the day the episode where the ponds left uh, aired. And I got back and I just happened to look at Facebook to see what was going on in the lives of my mates. And somebody had put up a screenshot of the Statue of Liberty and a screenshot of Rory and Amy killing themselves and a screenshot of something else. And I was just like, you utter bastard. <laughs> yeah, I agree. We had a saying in a nightclub, never give the microphone to the audience. And, and that's what the problem is with, with Facebook. Everybody has an avenue to spew their venom or, you know, or their boring lies. Now, <laughs> you know, it's like, do I really want to know that you're at the gym right now? No. Do I really give a shit? Absolutely not. You know, do I care what you think about the Save by the Bell reunion? Not a fucking chance. You know, I, I try and keep it to hanging out with my friends. 
because now I got a lot of friends like you that are very far away from me. So I, I, I like it to hang out with my friends. Well, I'm, I'm going to make a mental note not to post gym updates anytime soon. Um. You know, unless you're, unless you're like in spandex and a headband, I don't want to see it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> nobody wants to see that. I uh, I go to the gym mostly in sweatpants, as you Americans would call them, and some sort of nerdy T-shirt. And I tend to get stared at by people who are thinking, what's she doing here? Nerds don't go to the gym. What do you call sweatpants in the UK? Uh, either jogging bottoms or tracky bottoms. Jogging bottoms. Jogging bottoms. <laughs> so what was the other one? Uh, or tracksuit bottoms, depending on the material. Yeah, I like jogging bottoms. Jogging bottoms. <laughs> oh dear! I tell you what, I wish I had a better accent because there's um I do, I did recommend for you to watch the IT Crowd, and there's um a character in that called Moss who has possibly the world's greatest accent. You you have a great accent. Oh, it's all right, I suppose. <laughs> oh, it's all, yeah, see, stop getting sexy here. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> Where, where is your accent from? Well, it's um, it's sort of brummy with a tinge of black country because my husband and his family are all from um, more the black country way, so they're quite they've got quite strong black country accents. Whereas I've just got a bit of a bit of a tinge, um, but it's where is it's, the black country? It's sort of on the it's between um Birmingham and Dudley. If that makes any sense, so it's pretty, it's pretty close. It's like on the cusp of Birmingham, but it's um, it's one of those accents where they add extra syllables to things. Like I'm just going down the road. You're like, what's I can't that? get. What's I, just road? I, I could listen to you all night. I cannot get enough of it. To be fair, I could talk all night, but um, I won't because that would be quite rude. Because I'm recording on the bed, and I think eventually my husband will want to sleep in it. So one would hope. That one would hope. Yeah, I mean, I think he'd be pretty miffed after having to drag him upstairs to kill two spiders already if I relegated him to the sofa for the night. So. Yeah, not, not a good idea on your part. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, dear. I um, I feel like, actually, I'm, I'm taking advantage of your um, lovely time at the moment because we've been sure. talking for, like, an hour and a half. Ask away. You have any more questions? I'm, I'm all yours. Don't you worry. Oh well, the the only other thing I was going to ask a little bit about was because um, I noticed that you've you've got a lot of uh, anime type voiceovers under your belt. Uh-huh. Is that something that you sort of fell into, or was that more of a, a conscious choice that you prefer to do it? Or no, no, it's actually the same thing because you know you you work with the same people. It's the same people working all over the place, and they recommend you for one, and some of them is in a show, and they bring you in for the next show. And again, I just kept falling into it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you do good work, and they remember you, and they, you know, and you, and then you're you're not an idiot, and they remember you even more. You know, so <laughs> I would get called in for stuff all the time. I must have done. I mean, I, I haven't looked at the Anime News Network in a while, but they have my full anime resume there, and I must have done over 50 different series. You know, overall, and it's to me, it was work, Stacy, but in the great sense of the word. Not a, not a, it wasn't drudgery, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't even ask. After a while, they'd say we need you for a session, you know, Thursday for three hours. I wouldn't even ask what the, what it was because it didn't matter what it was. It wasn't like I, I had anything to study anyway because you got the script in front of you. You work with the same people all the time, you know, for the most part. Probably, you know, maybe worked with a dozen directors and over the fifties things that I've done, you know. 
other people that I didn't mention, Jeff Nimoy, Tony Oliver. I mean, there's just so many people, Wendy Lee, of course, and, and all the boys I mentioned before. And, and they just bring in Tom Weiner, and, and they like you. You're not a schmuck. They bring in for another project, and they, they come bring in. And, you know, I have a certain skill set. I'm not, a, you know, I'm not like the brilliant Talzin Coleman, and have, who, by the way, was, it was great to meet David Soboloff. I loved having Sensei Michael there, but and it was amazing to meet Townsend because we had a lot of uh, mutual friends, and we just really hit it off, kindred souls. So, you know, I'm an actor, and I'm a good actor. As a voiceover artist, I have a couple of things that I can do. It's usually the gruff back of the throat, you know, kind of military guy, sky bite. That's what they would bring me in for, the tough guy, you know, even when they don't use your body, they're typecasting you, you know? <laughs> which is fine because I work. I was never one of those actors go, oh, I got to play another thug or a murderer again. Oh, poor me. It was like, wow, I got another day. You know, I, I haven't worked in three years, but I have a Screen Actors Guild pension and that pays my rent every month, which means to me I worked a long time and wound up with a pension as an actor. Okay. So that's pretty bloody amazing. And I'm very grateful for the time I had in the business. And I'm grateful for whatever comes in the future. You know, certainly part of the Transformers family. You know, I'm trying to send my info out to get cast in the, in other cons all over the country, all over the UK. So if anybody's listening, I'm, avail I'm available. And uh, I, I've just been very fortunate, Stacey. And, and, and I continue to be a grateful man in my life because... I don't want to be the other guys that I see in the business. And, you know, and they're not all like that, but thinking that the world owes owes them something. And you know who I used to be kind of attitude. And mm -hmm. No, I want to be the, the, the kid in the bar you're sitting having a whiskey or an ice cream with and talking about Superman all night long. Well, I promise, I promise next time I meet you in person, I'll be braver. Uh, and I will, I'll come bearing tequila and Zorbay. And, um... Oh, I'm going to have it. What kind of tequila? Patron? What do you drink? Um, I I prefer Patron. Gold but, or silver? But I, I'm, I'm a bit of a fan no, of silver, usually. I'm a bit of a fan of El Gimador as well, though. I like that, too. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, any flavor at that point? Um, well, the, when I had it at a restaurant, there were three different flavors, and you just sort of dumped as much tequila on it as you wanted. And they were um, lemon, orange, and... I want to say some sort of berry flavored one because it was pink. I don't remember, but it was all pretty amazing to be. <laughs> I think I fancy the orange one. It's sort of your generation's Jello shot. Oh, I tell you what, I love those as well. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know, we did a Secret Santa thingy at work a couple of years ago, and um, I always get I I always hate the Secret Santas because I put a lot of effort into if I don't know the person that I've drawn out, I put a lot of effort into finding out what they like and getting them something good, and then I'm always a bit sad if somebody just pulls me out and gets me like a bottle of bubble bath or something because everybody needs to be clean. And uh, the one year I did manage to get somebody who clearly knew what I liked because she bought me um, a. a Jelly shots, mold, and recipe book. I was like, thank you. The best thing about giving a present, and it doesn't have to be expensive, is giving it to someone when you put some effort into it. Mm -hmm. You know, know they like it, and and it was like one of the presents I got at AA was David Wallace gave me three um, hardback DC books because he knew my love of Superman, so he gave me 
action comics. He gave me The Flash, and he also gave me Batman versus Superman. Nice. I mean, it's not like he just gave me books. He gave me stuff because we had a conversation the night before. And David, if you're listening, thank you. And and I, I want to come back so badly. I want to be there now. I want to, you know, I want to be with all my friends that I made. I tell you what I'm, I'm contemplating doing is I've got a ton of comics I need to get rid of, so I might just have a, a back garden comic convention where I just sell all my stuff and just invite people to my house for a barbecue. <laughs> you know, I, I'm very good in the kitchen. I'll come, <laughs> I'll come and work my keep, I promise you. <laughs> I, I'm Greek, so I'm good cooking and I'm good washing dishes, so it works both ways. I like the sound of that. I'm very aware now of, of just the, the fact that I'm hogging all of your time. So... <laughs> It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, though, and I, I honestly could probably just talk to you for another three or four hours if it weren't for the fact that it was nine o'clock. And uh, what it be? Is it like four o'clock over there for you? Yeah, it's four. We've, we've, we've been on the air for a couple hours, hour and a half. <laughs> an hour and a half, that's all. Oh, dear. I am, I'm I'm quite impressed with myself this time, though, because I've had um, a couple of guests on before where I've pretty much just gone, <laughs> the whole way through because I just shit myself, so... <laughs> Well, I'd be happy to come on again. I hope we speak uh, when there's not being a recording going on. You know, we can, you know, we can continue this conversation about tequila and disco at another time as well. <laughs> well, I tell you what, if you ever do come back to Birmingham, I'm going to have to take you to the Island Bar because um, it's quite possibly the greatest cocktail bar in the world. First of uh, all, I am coming back to Birmingham. I don't know when, but I am coming back to Birmingham. Okay, when you come back to Birmingham, I am officially taking you to the island bar because it's wonderful i went there the other day and then basically said to them i've got a recipe for a a ninja turtles based cocktail can you make it for me and they went yeah of course and did it and it was amazing so good now i know we talked about the theme music and we haven't solidified anything but i hope i hope the listeners enjoyed the peter gabriel song at the beginning of the show and i hope they're going to enjoy the I Am The Doctor music at the end of this show. Are those your two final choices now, then? Those are my final choices. We had to start with Big Time, because I'm a big guy, and that was my old theme song at the nightclub. But we got to end. we got to go out on Doctor Who. Oh, I'll God, be- that song is so amazing. I am such a big proponent of uh, of classical music and soundtracks and stuff. I just, I, it bothers me that, like... This this makes me sound really old, and I'm not really old at all. But, like, even people like my cousins are just so unaware of classical music, and it really bothers me. I'm like, Arr. There's nothing like orchestral music, and I thought, you know, Murray Gold and the scores to the Matt Smith era stuff was just amazing. And any time mm. that theme would come up, you knew he was having the idea or things were going to change, you know. And, and I just, I looked for that piece on iTunes because I I wanted that piece because it just it gives me chills listening to it. I had the pleasure of going to see the Birmingham Symphony Orchestra playing um, songs from TV and film. Oh. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, one of the songs they played was was that particular song. And honestly, hairs on the back of my neck just stood up. I was just like, oh, I could cry if I didn't want to, like, <laughs> I didn't want to look like a twat in front of a load of other people just crying at violins. But it was amazing. You know, just to tie this all together, it's why I love you and all the people I met at AA, because you are passionate for what you love. It affects you deeply, and it, it becomes a part of your life and soul. The same with me. You know, I hear the music and and I'm like a six-year-old kid again. I'm giddy, you know, and I, I just 
I never want to be not affected. That's a double negative. I always <laughs> want to continue to be affected by life, by people, by every little thing, because I promise you, it goes by in an instant. And first of all, thank you so much for having me a part of your show. I'm sure anybody who started listening in the beginning is long gone. He's <laughs> tired of hearing me speak over here. But I am so appreciative of you and all the people I met at Auto Assembly. And I will be back to Birmingham sooner or later. You can't, you cannot keep me away. Well, you'll have to let me know when you come in because there is an island bar cocktail trip in our future. <laughs> I have no two ways about it. I'm going to have to make sure there's extra days. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you for taking time out of your day to, uh, to faff on the internet with little old me. I wouldn't have it any other way, Stacey. Thank you for allowing me time with you. I appreciate it. Oh, bless you. And um, hopefully at some stage in the future I can uh, have you on again, perhaps, maybe, question mark? Anytime, anywhere. you got a guest who cancels, call me up. I think you and good, you and I are good for a two-hour chin wag at any given moment. <laughs> Jolly good. Well, it's been, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, and I shall speak to you soon, hopefully. Be well, love. Take care of yourself. Thanks ever so much. Take care. Lovely. I tell you what, though, I could do with like a Jiminy Cricket-sized Peter Spellos just to take around with me, so that whenever I'm feeling like straying in down the path of rage or sad or something, like he'll just be there with his sage words of wisdom. <laughs> I was trying to channel some Peter today when I was at work, basically having a meltdown, but unfortunately the meltdown got the best of me. But I had an absolutely wonderful time talking to Peter. I'd love to thank him again for taking time out of his sort of to talk to a little old. Um, and to be so awesome. I would also like to apologise for the whole spider situation thing. I actually think I did pretty well, all things considered, because normally I would just be like, ah, spiders, ah, ah, ah. Um, but luckily I composed myself and just stared at it until Rich came to uh, catch it for me. Unfortunately, that loud noise you will have heard was actually getting um, squashed. Sorry. Uh, because it fell on the floor and I didn't want to risk it running at me um, but there we go um, so thank you again to Peter and um, apologies again for the uh, spider meltdown um, again just to reiterate if you could think about giving some dosh to my Just Giving page I would love you all forever it's a really good charity I think it's a really good cause and I know it's not one that normally gets a lot of press or a lot of um, a lot of donations and things so it would be really nice I mean my, my aim was to have five funded surgeries I've got eight so I shouldn't whinge but you know uh, if you don't ask you don't get so please go to justgiving.com forward slash spcp live and just give whatever you can I will be eternally grateful to you all 
contact details wise if you want to get in touch with me if you want to be on the show if you want to tell me to shut up if you want to ask me any questions just drop me an email at stacy's parlor that's s-t-a-c-e-y-s-p-a-r-l-o-u-r at gmail.com or you can find me on Twitter. I am Stace Bob T with a capital S and a capital T over there. Uh, I'm also on Instagram as Stace Bob T, posting pictures of all my birthday swag because it was my birthday last week and I got a Megazord and it is well wicked. Uh, I hate the fact that I just said well wicked. I take that back. Um, it was really good. <laughs> and um, I think that's all social media wise. So, yep, get in touch. Let us know how it's going. And uh, until next month, smile you later. Thank you.